Hello, friends, and welcome to a new episode of Live and Learn. It's been a while. It's been a couple of weeks. I've been traveling a lot. I've been trying to get play catch-up when I've been at home. So uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together. But in this one, I'm going to talk about the difference between standards and curriculum. The more I'm out and about and the more folks I talk to, the more I'm realizing there's still a lot of confusion around standards versus curriculum. So despite the misunderstanding of so many folks, including some of our politicians, no surprise, standards are not curriculum. So we're going to go there today. But first, there are lots of exciting things going on here at SCR. I finished my marathon fall travel schedule, at least for now. So I've had some time to devote my attention to lots of projects, uh, including the Seamless course, which is coming right along. The web platform is nearly complete, and I finished up recording the videos for the course modules, which I'm so excited about. Uh, my whole goal and what I, how I do all of my work is I try my best to make products that I would want to participate in, things that courses I would want to go through, um, things I would want to sit through and participate in myself. And so I think I've accomplished that really well with the Seamless course. So I cannot wait for you to see this, my friends. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to taking a few weeks off in the month of December and early January for some R&R. But from now until then, there's a lot of excitement around here. Lots of things going on for lots of great people out there. Gosh, so many of you have such great stuff going on right now. And I've been so privileged to be a part of it for, with, with many of you. Um, but for now, standards versus curriculum. Last summer, I think it was, I was dropping some things off at a private school uh, in my area and was talking with one of the administrators there. And she was kind of wanting to know what I'd been up to lately. I used to teach there. I'm a graduate of that school. And so I just kind of said, you know, I've been doing a lot of work with standards and standards trainings and soft skills implementation and all, you know, went on through my list of, of things I'd been up to. And I offered, um, because I know the type of curriculum that they have there, and I offered my services in professional development for her teachers to kind of go through uh, text-dependent questioning and, you know, emphasis on uh, using rich texts with students. And I said, you know, that's a big thing, a big, big part of the Common Core. And uh, her response to me was, oh, that would be wonderful, but I don't want that curriculum here. And I wasn't really sure what to say at first, but my initial response was just very brief in that, well, the standards aren't the curriculum. They just tell you what a curriculum should have in them. So that was one of my first encounters with a misunderstanding of the word standard. Also recently, I had done a pre-assessment. I tried to do um, a webcast followed by a pre-assessment survey sort of thing before I go into a new situation with folks that I haven't had the pleasure of working with before, just so that I, that I can kind of gauge where they are in different points of what we're going to be discussing. And so in this one survey, I had a true-false question that, true-false, the college and career readiness standards make up a curriculum and more than 50% of the answers said that that was true. So I realized that this misunderstanding that standards are curriculum goes much deeper even into practitioners. It's not just found in our presidential candidates of past <laughs> where I first heard mention of federal standards and going to do away with this federal curriculum, which of course both of those statements were completely misguided. But practitioners are also misunderstanding the difference between standards and curriculum. 
So I guess the way I would start to explain this is if the standards were a curriculum, it would be like a recipe for a chocolate cake actually making the cake. You don't have to do anything. You have the recipe. It results in a cake immediately. Same thing. Uh, or it would be like the repair steps to building a car or to fixing a car actually fix the car. The steps themselves are the fix. Or, you know, those god-awful IKEA desk assembly instructions for that box of parts that has never actually made it past your foyer. It would be like those instructions actually being the desk from IKEA. Wouldn't that be nice? But nope, the standards provide direction, ingredients, if you will, for a curriculum, but they are not a curriculum. Therefore, that begs the question, how do you have a standards-based curriculum? So how do you take those ingredients and translate them into a finished product, which would be, for our recipe, college and career-ready humans? So first of all, we can talk a little bit about alignment of standards, activities, and resources. So that's where we'll start with this. So I can't tell you how many lessons I've reviewed that have a lovely list of standards. Level appropriate, nice variety, like maybe a couple of reading and a couple of writing that are supporting. But then the teaching section itself seems to veer off course and abandon those chosen standards altogether. I mean, sure, the students are reading and writing often and doing fun things, but they aren't learning and practicing and demonstrating mastery of the standards that were identified for the lesson. This is why in my own lesson planning, I find myself typically starting with a text and then working backwards from there. How do I want students to interact with the text? Then I can choose standards based on that. But then sometimes once I get into the lesson and I get into the activities and assessments that I'm, I'm using, I have to backtrack and look back at those standards that I used initially that I listed and say, am I on track or do I need to adjust either the standards or my activities and assessments? So sometimes I might choose a nice standard like, let's say, reading Anchor 1 Level C, which is, quote, accurately from a text when explaining what the text says, blah, blah, blah. Then I might choose a fascinating article on how the Roaring Twenties led to the Industrial Revolution, which led in part to global warming. My students will love this, I think. Uh, I have them research and debate and write a summary. What noble goals? Well, students would love that. Teacher of the year will be mine. But then I have to hold my horses and say, what's that standard again? Ooh, reading Anchor 1. They're quoting accurately from a text when explaining what it says explicitly and when in drawing inferences. Now, where in my lesson am I modeling ways to find and quote textual evidence? What are the strategies that students are going to employ and draw inferences in the assessment? Well, um, I created a tool that's on my website. It's been in my brain for a while now. I've used it for quite a few audiences to date. And it's all about identifying the discrete skills and the standards themselves and focusing there. So in the standard that I just mentioned, students are to quote and infer. So step one, as a teacher, I would explain the skill and model how to apply the skill, how to quote, how to infer. Step two, I give students the chance to practice the skill with my help and with help from others. And finally, they're practicing the skill alone with a teacher review. And finally, after that, students demonstrate mastery of the skill in an independent assessment of some kind. And I kind of, as you can see, sometimes steps three and four are the same. So you have to start with asking yourself, what are the skills taught in the standard or standards? Identify those key terms. 
Then look at your activities and say, does the lesson model and allow students to practice and reinforce those skills? Are activities level appropriate according to the skills? For instance, am I asking students to summarize when they're in second grade? That's not a second grade standard. That's not a second grade skill. That doesn't come until later. So that wouldn't be something that low-level adults or second graders would be able to do. And finally, looking at my assessments. Does the assessment for the lesson require students to demonstrate the identified skills of the chosen standards that they've practiced? So could the students complete the assessment without anything else they've learned in this lesson, without the skills outlined in the standard? If the answer is yes, you got to revise. you got to start over. So bottom line is focus where the standards focus. And that's true with math as well as ELA and the science and social studies as well. So if you want to see more, if you want access to this tool in print, you can hop on over to scr.consulting, and it's under the blog and podcast link in the June blog post. And now to backtrack just a little bit for the second part of this, why do we have standards in the first place? You know, I, I spend a lot of my time talking about the case for soft skill standards. I mean, that's what Seamless is about. That's what I do with a lot of people. That's what I did with Kentucky writing their soft skill standards. But I also find myself more and more getting into situations where I have to justify standards at all in, in academics. But seriously, we have to have standards. Um, for instance, WIOA Recommendation 7 says that we have to have data to support our evidence and evidence to support our data for utilizing evidence-based initiatives. So what better way to accomplish making sure that we're on track than knowing what the standards are that we're trying to achieve in the first place. So the very term itself, standard, indicates criteria that are taught, practiced, and assessed. Benchmarks of performance must guide any educational process. So what I kind of do is I think about the term in relation to a poultry processing facility, which is appropriate this time of year. I'm pretty sure I want my turkey to come from a place that has standards. So if there are two different facilities who are comfortable with two different levels of cleanliness, we would have a public health crisis. I really wouldn't want to buy my turkey from plant A if they don't even have standards in place for things like refrigerator temperature, processing equipment sanitation, hand washing procedures. I'm pretty sure I'd rather go with a turkey from plant B who has standards that address these areas in a regular ongoing basis with procedures in place to ensure regular assessment of quality control. So standards really make life easier. They give direction for success. They give benchmarks, things for us to shoot for. They're concise, they're concrete, they're measurable, they're practiced, they're assessed, and they're necessary. Now another interesting thing, in one of my favorite academic books, uh, Raising the Standard, which is written by the Susan Pimentel and Dennis Doyle, and they wrote this back in 1999. And of course, if you've been, you know, if you're living under a rock, Susan Pimentel is the author of the Common Core State Standards and is a wonderful person, uh, very much my mentor and someone I admired greatly. But clear back in 1999, long before they were involved in the process of writing the standards, their book Raising the Standard found that standards were necessary and directly tied to student in student achievement. But they did say they must be homegrown to work. Now, even though the Common Core State Standards or the College and Career Readiness Standards are a national effort, 
they still began as what I call a grassroots standards initiative. States relied on work groups of educators, representatives of higher ed, and other experts to write the standards. This was a state-up approach rather than a top-down effort through the federal government. Federal government had nothing to do with it. It started in classrooms and has led to an ownership by most of our country. So agencies, partners, and communities are more likely to have buy-in and support of the work if they own it. But we still result in standards, something that we can all look to and all say, yes, this is what we're all striving for. It gives clarity. But within that, the standards also provide freedom. Because they aren't curriculum, they give freedom to the teachers and to local administrators to decide how the standards are met in their own classrooms. What resources, what activities, and what assessments are students going to use and partake in to show mastery of the standard? So that's why I'm grateful that standards aren't curriculum. I used to, before I really delved into the standards and writing my own curriculum and curriculum for so many of my clients, I wanted to know why there wasn't a, a set curriculum in that everyone looked to, that everyone used. But now the more I get into the standards and the richness that I see from the hundreds and thousands of lesson plans of instructors I've reviewed from around the country, there's such richness in ideas that have come from so many folks at so many different levels, things I never would have thought of in lesson plans because they follow the standards in their own way. And they're ensuring that their activities and assessments align with the standards. So they're having the freedom to create a curriculum that is far richer than anything that could be created by just a small group of people. So there we go, standards versus curriculum for your Tuesday afternoon. Hope that was helpful. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Live and Learn. Not sure when we'll be back together. Hopefully I'll have another episode before Thanksgiving. But until then, stay curious.